Greetings and welcome to the Animal Wellness Podcast, the official podcast of Animal Wellness Action. Hi, I'm your host, Joseph Grove. On this show, we talk about animals from the perspective of people who care about them and have the ability to improve their lives by influencing culture and supporting laws and regulations accordingly. To stay up to date with all of our news and information, subscribe to this podcast, receive our free newsletters, visit animalwellnessaction.org. We have an action-packed show for you today. This is the most guests we've had on any one show ever. So uh, bear with us as we go from voice to voice and introduce people. Um, we have so many guests because it's it's a critical and fascinating topic. Not long ago, we wrote about Ryder. He was the New York City carriage horse uh, who collapsed on a Manhattan street. Photos, videos of that event spread literally around the world. Our coverage of Ryder's misadventure, to say the least of it, uh, garnered more visits to our website than any other single story ever. Clearly, the idea of pulling people in a carriage on New York City streets by a horse resonates with folks. It's antiquated, it's proved abusive, and in the case of Ryder, it was tragic. As many of you know, Ryder uh, was pulled from carriage horse duty. He was revealed to be much older than he should have been, according to city regulations, much sicker than should have been the case for any horse. Uh, he was taken to a farm, and unfortunately, he was uh, so ill, uh, so was the story that uh, he had to be euthanized. So Ryder certainly is a sad but vibrant image of what carriage horse life is like for these horses. Making this especially timely, just last week, an SUV, also in New York City, hit a horse. The horse was fortunately, uh, is my understanding, injured only to a minor degree, was, was let loose on New York City streets to run free, uh, doubtless terrified uh, before they were able to recapture him and, and take him back to safety. Uh, so uh, that's kind of the lay of the land here, and I'll introduce our, our other guests uh, in a moment. But first, I want to go to Marty Irby. Uh, he is the executive director of Animal Wellness Action. Marty, we just had a legislative update that I think was pretty exhaustive in our episode with Dan Butner. So rather than having a legislative update, I do want to ask you about HISA, the Horse Racing Integrity Safety Act. It's a law you've championed for years. It was implemented, but I understand there's some uh, unfortunate news concerning it. Marty. Yes, Joe. Well, thanks for being here, everyone, today. I really appreciate it. And unfortunately, we have some bad news today. Um, many people know that it's quite frustrating here in Congress in Washington, D.C. to pass laws, some laws we've worked on for a decade, some two decades, especially when it comes to horses, and the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act that outlawed the use of all race day drugs and created a uniform national standard for drug testing and rules and regulations in the United States was signed into law and enacted in December of 2020. That was the first federal horse protection measure enacted in half a century. And it has been my pride and joy up until now because it was something that was very close to home with my background in horses. Unfortunately, on Friday, the 5th, 
District Court of Appeals in New Orleans, Louisiana, ruled that the legislation was unconstitutional. Um, we're not sure where we're headed moving forward, if there will be an appeal or if we will have to go back and lobby Congress to actually change the law. So that's still up in the air right now, but we're going to keep pressing harder than ever to make sure that we clean up American horse racing because there are horses dying on tracks all across America. There are horses that are being drugged every day. There are horses that are being beaten with a whip. And there are so many instances that are far worse than what we see in some of the other equine sports that have just brought the entire industry down. So we're hopeful that we can continue to effectuate change and we're hopeful that we will prevail in the courts. But I really, really just honestly don't have a good feeling about this one, unfortunately. And we'll keep you posted along the way and appreciate everyone's support for this important legislation that we have continued to advance to protect these horses. It was set to be implemented in January of next year, the doping program was. So we do not know whether that will actually be implemented yet or not. I think we have a deadline of January 10th where some more information will be coming forth and we'll keep you guys apprised. Thank you, Marty. I, I appreciate that. Um, Marty also oversees a website about HISA-related issues called HISAWatchdog.org. And you can also search HISA Watchdog on Facebook, uh, where he posts a lot of content. And if you're particularly interested in HISA, you can go to either of those locations to stay abreast with us on that. Uh, also from the organization is Kate Schultz. She's one of our senior attorneys, and she is also a former New York City prosecutor who specialized in animal abuse cases. Uh, Kate, did you ever see the movie Devil's Advocate? No, I don't think so, but it does sound very familiar. I well, imagine it's about a lawyer. Well, well it's, it's about the devil, as one might, might glean from that, but it, one of the attorneys working for Mephistopheles uh, is defending someone who's been accused of animal abuse. So I always imagine you being against Keanu Reeves uh, and Al Pacino in, in that matter. But Kate's with us uh, because she's seen firsthand what happens in New York City when animal abuse cases are brought. Uh, but more specific to horse carriage issues, uh, we have Adita Bernkrant, who is with NYCLASS. Some people call it NYC class, but I, I always call it NYCLASS, which is the better, Adita? I always I say night class too, whichever you prefer. It actually stands for New Yorkers for Clean, Livable, and Safe Streets, which is a mouthful. So we just like to say night class. <laughs> I'm going to stick with that because I've already forgotten a lot of what yeah. that stands for. So <laughs> night night class is it. And and one of Adidas' many activities is to champion the well-being of New York City. Uh, carriage horses. So Adita, thank you for being on the show. I've heard your name quite a bit in conversations with others of our group. Certainly when we collaborated on some of the investigations for Ryder, you were, you were an integral part of that. Thank you for that, by the way. So I'm really super glad you're on the show. Um, it's easy when we talk about carriage horses to think only of New York City, but in fact, many cities across the United States have them. And for that reason, we asked Tiffany Stair, who is with Revolution Philadelphia. She too is working for the betterment of life for carriage horses. So uh, Tiffany, thank you for being on the show as well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, very good. And she's got some of her posters there uh, in the background. So those of you who are watching this on YouTube, you'll be able to see those. Uh, so I think we're all set up. Adita, 
tell us about the extent of the problem in New York City. How many horses, what are we not seeing in the major headlines that have made this such a critical issue for you? So it's a huge, overwhelming problem for carriage horses in New York City. And we have the largest industry of carriage horses in the, in the country. I'm not sure I can say in the world, but definitely in the country, we have generally about 200 carriage horses that are working within the industry in New York City. And there's 68 carriages that are allowed out in Midtown uh, at any given time. So that's a lot. And while you know there was the worldwide outrage and attention about Ryder, which was very helpful to get attention, um, there's 200 other riders. You know, the other horses right now that are on the streets, trapped in these horrific tiny stables, never touching a blade of grass, not getting proper veterinary care, being forced to work in midtown traffic, collapsing, spooking and crashing, dropping dead. These things are happening every day. Um, so it's an overwhelming problem. And as you pointed out, just a few days ago, there was yet another crash in midtown traffic. You know, these people don't realize these horses don't live in Central Park. They live in these tenement warehouse buildings up to two miles away. There's three different stables. I wouldn't call them stables. They're warehouses for these horses that they're stored on the second and third stories of these dilapidated buildings. The stalls are half the size that humane organizations recommend recommend. The horses have zero turnout area, meaning they never have freedom of movement. They never touch grass. They are chained up 10 hours a day, maneuvering in traffic with blinders on and bits in their mouth, and they're brought back to solitary confinement. This is their life. They're denied proper veterinary care, uh, proper farrier care. Um, just the other day, I discovered a horse with disintegrating hoof walls. The hoof was literally disintegrating on this horse. This is the, this, the, the standards of care are so low for these horses. That's why a horse like Ryder, who, I mean, I could almost cry thinking about Ryder because he's dead now, of course, and he had no chance. Even by the time he collapsed on that street in midtown traffic, the truth was exposed about him, which was that his owners, who, by the way, are being criminally investigated by the Manhattan DA for criminal animal cruelty, which I am certain they are guilty of, and we hope there will be prosecution. So his owners falsified Ryder's veterinary records, changing his birth date to say that he was 13 instead of his actual age of 26. Um, this was a horse that was so emaciated, his ribs were jutting out, his muscles had wasted away. And we found out from the necropsy that Ryder was riddled with cancer. They took this horse who was elderly, who never should have worked a day, who was so sick, cancer ridden, didn't give him any kind of veterinary care or tests, threw him on the streets to pull a carriage in traffic through the entire brutal summer, literally until his body gave, gave out. And that garnered the worldwide attention but by that point, it was too late for him because I'm amazed he even lasted four months in that condition, elderly with cancer, emaciated. Um, and, you know, by that point, it was too late. And but Ryder is just one horse out of so many others that are that are gravely suffering. And there was a group called the Unbridled Heroes Project that is a group of combat veterans that rescue horses, mainly wild horses. And they've joined our efforts with this. And after Ryder died, they were so upset that they did a, what they called a wellness check 
at the stable where Ryder was from and they took video and they were completely appalled. Uh, this got media attention as well. At, they've never seen, they wouldn't even call them stables. They've never seen stabling like this, except maybe at kill pens. Um, the conditions of where these horses are kept tied up in tiny stalls where they can't move around. Like I said, no pasture, no interaction with other horses. They're just kept in those little cells. Um, all of the horses except one looked very underweight. So this is, we're talking about systematic neglect and I believe often criminal animal cruelty going on with these horses every day. Yeah, that, so yeah. Dita, that, that all sounds unbelievable. And I think it'll be news to our listeners. It's news to me that uh, Ryder was discovered to have uh, cancer. And, and you're right, if you, if you have a heart, imagining this, this ancient horse with cancer being asked to do, uh, yeah. well, being forced to do what he was forced to do, it, it is heartbreaking. In Louisville, we have, uh, I'm based in Louisville, Kentucky, yeah. there are a, a few carriages. And our state director contacted um, the agency that's, that's in charge of that and and asked what the inspection protocol was and the agency replied with we're supposed to be inspecting them (laughs) they were unaware that that was even one of their responsibilities tiffany i I see you nodding quite a bit as adidas speaks now i gotta say some hot chocolate the the gentle lulling clip clop of horse hooves on a city street Come on, Tiffany, aren't you being a little <laughs> bit of a hard ass here? I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a nice romantic thing, right? It's a great first date. Do your, do your horses have it that bad? Um, whether it's a, a romantic, charming ride or shorts are getting thrown from the carriage, horses have no place in Philadelphia. Um, Philadelphia is, I'm not sure if any of you have ever been there, but it's a very small city. Um, uh, Philadelphia's horses have been working on Philadelphia streets since 1976. When they brought them back, they had actually taken them out for a while and they brought them back. Um, there were two carriage companies in Philadelphia that were operating and one was shut down for abuse and neglect back in 2017. So we have one carriage company remaining with about 11 horses. And we often go out and document violations. And every single time we are out there, um, we document multiple violations by all of the drivers. And we report back um, our agency in Philadelphia that's in charge of uh, regulating and enforcing the laws is our uh, animal control. They are extremely uh, understaffed, underfunded, and overwhelmed. They are never at the tack line because they just can't be there. So it's up to us to document these violations every day, and they break the law every day. So it is a pub, not only a public safety issue for people, but these horses, uh, just like Adita said, they spook, they bolt, they run into traffic, and people get killed. And it now, happens what happens all- when you report these violations, though? I mean, are they just thrown into a paper shredder, slap on the wrist? What goes on well, once you make these uh, these reports? So um, Philadelphia is on a much smaller scale than New York. And, you know, as far as Adita and Nyclass goes, we started our campaign and have received so much support from them. And what started us looking into the Philadelphia's horses is in 2020, I saw a viral video of the carriage horse Asia who collapsed and ultimately died in Central Park. And I was horrified. 
And at that time, I knew nothing about horses. I had never taken a carriage ride. I had never ridden a horse. And I knew I had to look into this in Philadelphia. So um, like I said, Adidas helped us a lot in Philadelphia, but our scale is much smaller. You know, they have 200 horses, unionized workers. We have 11 horses and probably about 10 workers. Um, and the horses in Philadelphia, just like New York, live in squalor. They live in a section of Philadelphia called Kensington, which I'm sure a lot of you may have heard of in the past. It's a very uh, rough neighborhood and they are surrounded by construction 24 seven and their stables. And if you would call them that are these little you know, wooden boxes where they can barely turn around and their turnout is a uh, dirt patch. And they are, you know, as we all know, horses are herd animals. They never get to interact with each other. They're only let out um, for, you know, half an hour a day and they're alone. So um, these horses, you can just look at them while they're working in Philadelphia and you can see that they're suffering. If you look at a horse running on a pasture or grazing and eating grass and just living their life, there is a huge, stark difference between the two images. What does happen, though, when you file these these complaints oh. or report this abuse? <laughs> so sorry, we're not funny. <laughs> no, that's OK. So. No, I'm glad you said what you said. It was it, it was vital information. But I am curious. Surely someone's taking note and doing something. So our city council has one um, gentleman that is that runs the district for where the horses work. And his name is Mark Squilla. Um, we have overwhelming support for a ban from all of the city council members, but they want him to pull the trigger. They say he needs to be the one to introduce. And um, so when we get these violations, we report them, we take videos, we match them up, and we send them to Mark Squilla and to ACCT, um, the person in charge of enforcing the law for the horses. And the response we get is Mark Squilla will say, ACCT, please look into this. And ACCT then says, yes, Councilman Squilla, we will look into it and then we never hear anything back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if if the laws are bre being broken every day, it is only a matter of time before a fatality or just a tragedy occurs on our streets. Adita, what are some other cities that have carriage horses other than New York City, Philadelphia, oh, Louisville? Say, there's a very long list of cities who have banned them and who have transitioned to electric carriages around the world. That's sort of the trend that's happening. But yes, there are, um, I know San Antonio has them, probably a bunch of, you know, Southern uh, cities. Um, I'm trying to think, are you talking about just in the United States or worldwide? No, just the United um, States. I'm I a typical American. I don't really care what goes on in the rest right. of the world. I'm just, you know. Cincinnati, I think, has them. Um, I think you're right. I think you're Cincinnati, right. Cincinnati, um, I know, but I don't think Boston has them. Okay. Um, All right. Well, certainly then New York City would be, you know, in Philadelphia, you know, both, both, I you mean, know, Chicago, Chicago band, which is great. That's yeah. You know, good for, Chicago good for Chicago. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then of course, Philadelphia and New York city, two crown jewel cities yeah. for the United States. I mean, what two cities, you know, represent the United States more than, you know, Philadelphia and, and New York, you know, Washington and a few others. Kate, yeah. Adita mentioned that uh, there are charges uh, hoping to be brought uh, against riders, people. Uh, go back to your prosecutor days. What is it? Uh, how are things at the receiving end of those those complaints? What would you consider? Uh, what would be the likelihood of something like uh, riders' abuses being considered? 
Thanks, Joseph, and thanks everyone for being here today. So interesting to hear about um, Philadelphia as well. I never knew a lot of that, uh, Tiffany. Um, well, New York actually has one of the oldest animal cruelty penal statutes in the United States, um, which should be, you know, a proud claim to fame of New York. But unfortunately, we still see, you know, that every day, every week, et cetera, these incidents happen. And um, hopefully a little bit of why, a little bit of what I talk about can kind of explain some of the difficulties or obstacles in prosecuting these cases. Um, first, I just want to mention also that when I speak of uh, what happened to Ryder, this is all alleged because I'm a lawyer. I can't say that these things happen because they are oh, good. Get it. Oh, my gosh. Alleged. I had to sign a waiver. I had to sign out like a waiver before I even talked to Kate, you know, that nothing know. she says. I, I won't sue her, you know, whatever. Go ahead, attorney. But um, I also want to mention that I'm going to bring up a couple criminal justice issues, and those are huge hot topic issues um, or hot button issues nowadays in the country. And I'm really going to try and steer away from political, politically fraught, sensitive um, sort of aspects of that. But some things are just fact, and um, I'm going to speak facts to you. So there's that. Um, so first of all, the main vehicle for bringing animal cruelty cases in New York City is within the ag agriculture and markets law. It's actually not in the penal code. Um, this is sort of a harbinger of the past um, that has continued on to this day. Um, the misdemeanor uh, criminal charge for animal cruelty in New York criminalizes a whole host of things, but including in that is actually overdriving or torturing an animal. Um, the language from that actually comes from way back in the day because the inspiration behind the original animal cruelty uh, offense in New York City was actually an individual who witnessed a working horse um, in the 1800s being overdriven and overloaded while he was uh, by his owner while he was working. So clearly, this law is almost perfectly crafted to encompass what allegedly happened to Ryder and what happens to carriage horses like Ryder all allegedly all of the time. And I'm going to stop saying allegedly. I made my whole piece now. Um, so, but that's not the only vehicle for Ryder um, or for justice for Ryder, I should say, because unfortunately Ryder is now passed. Um, as Anita mentioned, the owners or some individuals uh, relating to Ryder are being investigated by the New York City uh, Department of Health and Mental Hygiene for uh, essentially fraudulently claiming things about his age and perhaps other things that we don't know about. Um, they actually issued a summons to an individual for that purpose. Um, so in theory, criminal charges, not just these administrative violations like the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene are now investigating, but in theory, criminal card charges could also be brought relating to fraud. In some cases, in my experience, actually, it is often the non-animal cruelty charges that are the most effective ways of prosecuting animal cruelty offenders. This is for a number of reasons. One, it is very difficult to make out a felony animal cruelty charge in New York. You need to have intent and you need to have a lot of a very severe level of um, pain and injury being inflicted upon the animal. Um, that's in part because I think, uh, and I think it's widely said within the sort of animal cruelty enforcement community that New York State needs to update its animal cruelty laws. In fact, in the 2022 
um, sort of ranking of state animal cruelty laws, New York State came in as number 33 out of 50. 33, that's almost in the bottom third tier of the entire country. Albany, are you listening? Um, what Albany did do in the past two years, however, was make animal cruelty offenders ineligible for bail. Yes, that is a fact. You can murder a puppy, and as long as that is the only thing you did, you cannot have bail set on you. Um, so Albany has been doing a lot of things about criminal justice, some of which a lot of people applaud them for, some of which are great things, bringing New York State into a little bit of the 21st century. But Albany has not paid attention to animal cruelty issues for a very, very long time. Um, and I should also mention here, these are my views. These are not the views of Center for Humane Economy. Oh or my God, stop it. <laughs> stop. Oh, wow. Anyway, um, so you, did you graduate first in your class? No, not even close. <laughs> oh my God. Let me refocus you a little bit. If you could tailor this to, to I'm really interested in what writers, uh, alleged offenders, abusers may, may face. Thanks for bringing me in, Joseph. So they might face uh, Agriculture and Markets Law, Article 26, Section 353, which criminalizes an entire paragraph of activities, um, including overdriving, overloading, torturing an animal, which would include a horse. Um, they also might face a variety of fraud-related charges. There are a whole host of different fraud-related offenses that, in theory, depending on what the facts come out to be, they might end up facing. Um, I want to also note, however, that you know some people criticize this investigation seems to be taking a long time. That might be for a few reasons. One, there's only about one detective, give or take, um, per 1 million people in New York City that focuses on animal cruelty. So they're a little uh, busy. Um, two, the it would behoove a prosecutor to first wait for what the Department of Mental Health and Hygiene comes out with their investigation. Um, essentially, you don't necessarily want to reinvent the wheel, especially when you're having such huge, you know, staffing issues already. Um, in addition to which, you know, if someone's convicted of an administrative violation, that's going to make bringing a criminal case a heck of a lot easier. What What's the likelihood of anyone being brought to, to charges over what happened with Ryder, in your opinion? That's really tough. Um, it really depends on the political pressure, uh, in some sense, I think on the district attorney of Manhattan, uh, Mr. Alvin Bragg, or district attorney Bragg. Um, it also depends on, you know, what the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene uh, investigation ends up showing. And lastly, I think it depends on their honest ability to be able to bring a prosecution given the other cases they have going on and given the workload. Unfortunately, these things do often uh, impact the ability of prosecutors' offices to uh, do thorough investigations of things that might be considered, and I'm using quote, quote unquote here for those who aren't watching this on YouTube, lower level issues. Um, you know, it wouldn't surprise one to say that the prosecutor might be more interested in 
investigating and looking into, you know, gang gun violence over a horse that collapsed in Midtown streets. Um, as much as I, given my background, uh, firmly believe that animal cruelty is an extraordinarily, extremely important thing to prosecute and hold offenders accountable for, sometimes the uh, priorities of offices may not see it that way for a variety of reasons. Um, so I think that, you know, if the public can put pressure on the district attorney, who again is elected, right? So he does answer to the public. Um, I think that that would be a good thing and could potentially bring about justice for Ryder for whatever it's worth. Although, you know, unfortunately, the best justice can no longer be had for him. No, good, good point, Kate. Thank you for all of that. Marty, you're the executive director of Animal Wellness Action. Um, you know, we're, we're talking to a couple of regional offices here. We have a little bit more of a national perspective. What is Animal Wellness Action doing to combat the abuse suffered by horse carriages or carriage horses, excuse me? Thanks, Joseph. Well, first, I hope that people understand that we are out to end the use of horse-drawn carriages in major cities in the U.S. So we're supporting NICLAS and their work in New York, most importantly, and have been doing that for a number of years. We'd love to help in Philadelphia if you guys would like us to be involved there. I actually saw firsthand last fall uh, a few of the carriage horses there and what you're experiencing, and they did look like they were in very bad shape. And we're also working with colleagues around the country, our good friend Jim Tomaszewski in Cincinnati, where they will be reintroducing a ban on carriage horses there soon. It failed in the last session, but we've got a different makeup coming up in their city council. So I think we can advance that. And we're talking to some folks in St. Louis, Missouri, who are very interested in helping us advance a ban in that city as well. But there are a lot of cities who have banned this across the country. One that comes to mind, I think is quite interesting near my hometown in Alabama is Biloxi, Mississippi. Most people would not think that Biloxi, Mississippi would ban carriage horses. But if Biloxi, Mississippi can, then New York, Philadelphia, and all these major cities should. It is a no-brainer to prevent these horses from sucking fumes from a tailpipe while walking or sometimes even traveling faster down hot asphalt in extreme weather conditions. So this is unacceptable. It's something that should have ended long ago. The entire animal protection movement was started based upon carriage horse abuse in Manhattan that Henry Byrd first brought to light. So this is just inexcusable that this country has allowed so much to occur, especially when these horses are iconic symbols of this nation. The country was built on the backs of these horses, and we're allowing horses all across the nation to go to slaughter after they've been in the carriage horse pipeline. They don't necessarily have as fortunate a death, I say that, a fortunate a death as rider. Many of them end up going through an entire process that lands them at a horse slaughter plant in Mexico and Canada. Not that Ryder experienced a fortunate death. I'm just saying it could be even worse. And many of these horses out there are going in that direction. Mm -hmm. and, and Marty, I know you feel just as passionately, not only about carriage horses, the horses that are raced, which you mentioned a minute ago, but I also know that you are deeply involved in the organization's efforts to confront the abuses of wild horses uh, in the American West. So all of that information is uh, available at animalwellnessaction.org. Okay, I want, I want to pivot back to Adida and, and also to, to Tiffany. We've talked about uh, the problem, and you identified a little bit 
a little bit about the solution, Adita. Uh, talk about your organization's desire and that of other organizations to replace these horse-drawn carriages with e-carriages. What are they? How much do they cost? Uh, do they have a little fake clip-clop that goes along when you ride them? Tell us about e-carriages. Well, so we used as an ex as example of a real success of this in Guadalajara, Mexico. Um, there was a similar situation where there were uh, activists or advocates who saw the abuse that the horses went through in that busy city, wanted to try to find a solution and had the idea of transitioning to electric carriages as some other cities have done. And so they managed to work together and actually get some, you know, the owners on board to do that. And um, the webinar we're having, uh, did you mention that or am I? No, no. Uh, and, and that's, a, thank you for reminding me yeah. of that. Yeah. Because, you know, the, this whole podcast got yeah. its start because Kate and Marty were invited right, right, to speak right, right. Uh, yeah. on a webinar on November 30th. I'll put yeah. details in the show uh, notes on that, but if you want to learn more yeah. and even but more I'm, on this uh, issue. Let me just look mm -hmm. at, because um, one of the speakers at the webinar is Pedro Almavar. Sorry. I don't, I'm trying to find his name, but I, I can't right. remember. Oh, that's a first, I'm ladies and gentlemen. Adita is the first I'm person sorry. to use no, the F I'm word in, I'm in, New in York. the Animal I'm Wellness New Podcast. I'm a native New Yorker, just... <laughs> Whatever, just Adita. Adita. Edit that out. No edit. Also, yeah. Wayne, yeah, Wayne, Wayne Pasali will not tolerate the F-bombs, Adita. I so you that I was still sick. Well, the, okay, let me start over. So we are very excited that we are having the creator of the electric carriages in Guadalajara, Mexico on the webinar, uh, which is called from carriage, first drawing carriages to e-carriages to sort of explain how the whole thing happened there. And they really have a success story where the owners and drivers say they've doubled their profits. It's a better situation. Um, you know, the tourists love these. They're beautiful electric carriages, so much nicer than what the horse carriages are that we have here. So for, for New York City, you know, there's very strict sort of um, DOT and federal and local like laws that you'd have to pass to be road ready. Um, but we're New York City, we're leaders, we're innovators. It would not be very difficult uh, to produce these electric carriages. It would just have to be you know, we wouldn't be the ones doing that. We would want it to be something collaborative with the current industry owners and perhaps, you know, stakeholders that want the carriages to look a certain way within the park. Um, and there are individuals, there's um, Kyle Kelly in Charleston, South Carolina, who actually created a beautiful, because they have sort of the trolley carriages there where it's one horse pulling what looks like an open bus with dozens of people. So he created a version of that. It's not operational on the streets, but so he is, you know, capable of producing these carriages as are other uh, companies. Um, so it, we just need to pass rider's law. And then, um, you know, all of those details will be figured out. How much do yeah. these e-carriages cost? It's very hard to answer that because it depends on how elaborate you want to make the carriages. Like, uh, but I, we think we, it would be very easy to get sort of uh, corporate funding and sponsorship for these. This is an amazing business opportunity for whoever would want to do this. And we think it could expand way beyond just Central Park in New York City. We should have these e-carriages in every park, like Prospect Park, 
there's other parks in other boroughs and perhaps even expand it so that they can operate um, in other areas of Midtown Manhattan besides just the park. But um, we believe they can be made for well under 50,000 each for mm -hmm. sure. Well okay. under, maybe even, I, I hesitate to give the numbers right. because you know we're not gonna be the ones deciding all that, mm -hmm. but- um, Right, Tiffany, let me ask you this, oh. Tiffany, when you consider, uh supporting better treatment of these horses uh, who are the opponents who stands up in front of you and says by golly these horses are a-okay we don't need to change a thing who are the opponents the carriage company is our single and biggest opponent we have support from thousands of tourists we have a petition with uh, over forty thousand signatures from tourists and residents i mean phil if you're looking at philadelphians they they hate the carriages there's, you know, stool and urine all over the street that they live on. Um, they're loud. They're clip-clopping at one o'clock in the morning, way beyond when they should be working. So Philadelphians, you know, we have overwhelming support from the city. Um, and as far as e-carriages go, I'm all for e-carriages, but our councilman has been looking at e-carriages for several years now and has not made any moves. So, you know, when I look at this carriage company, this small little carriage company that Philadelphia has, you know, if I walked, I'm a nurse, if I walked into work for my shift and I broke the law every single day, I would expect to lose my job, you know, and these people break the law at every turn. They're documented almost every day breaking the law and nothing has been done. So I don't want to see anyone lose their job. I would love to see an alternative, but we do not need to have e-carriages street ready and on the streets of Philadelphia before a ban can go through. The gentleman that owns 76 Carriage Company is a very rich man who dominates the tourism industry of Philadelphia. He owns the buses and the trolleys and all forms of tourism. Those jobs could be rerouted for those 10 to 12 people until they can get something else on the street. Um, and that's, you know, we, we're caught, we just had a meeting with a council member a couple hours ago and she said, well, what about the jobs? And it's like, well, you know, our concern is the horses. We, we do want to see people have jobs in the city. Of course, we would love to see an alternative, but why are the heels being dragged here? Why aren't we making any moves? If you're so concerned about jobs, help us get these e-carriages on the street so these people can have jobs. But our concern are these horses that suffer day in and day out on the streets of Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. I just want to make one point about, because you mentioned, you know, I think I forgot to mention that New Yorkers also overwhelmingly want these horses off the street. There was a poll a few months ago, a Zogby poll, very legitimate polling company done that over 71% of polled New Yorkers want these horses off the streets. They weren't even asked about replacing them. They just want them gone. They see what these horses go through, especially after the attention that Ryder got. So we know there's overwhelming support for this. And right now we have 18 co-sponsors signed on. We know that there's many more that in the council that do support this, but haven't signed on. There's political reasons behind that, unfortunately. And there's a disingenuous uh, you know, situation where there's a, a union that's backing the owners in the industry at the expense of the horses and at the expense of the drivers. The carriage drivers have no union benefits. They're not even employees. They're also being exploited. And that's why transitioning to the electric carriages would actually lift everyone up. It would make these drivers, many of whom are recent immigrants, actual employees by law, meaning that if they get thrown off the carriage, they're entitled to disability, workers' comp, they'd have actual benefits and worker protections. Right now, they're treated 
poorly. So we feel this is a win-win for everyone. But to, to follow up on what Tiffany said, I would be, we would be very happy to, you know, get these horses off the streets without having to transition to electric carriages if there was a way to do that. <laughs> um, Adita, thank you so much. Uh, Tiffany, Tiffany, any final thoughts from, from you as we wrap up this episode? Um, I just want to say thank you guys for including Philadelphia in this conversation. I think that uh, the relationship between New York City and Philadelphia is mutually beneficial. New York gets the ban, it's going to help us. We get the ban, it's going to help them. So we want to continue to work together and see both cities with no horses on their streets. Oh, yes. And where can people learn more about Revolution Philadelphia? How can they find you online? We are uh, pretty big on social media. So we have a Facebook page. Um, we use Twitter and Instagram a lot more. So we are uh, Revolution Philadelphia on both of those sites. Okay, very good. And Adita, same question for you. Yeah. Where can people find NyClass? So for NyClass on Instagram, we're at NyClass. So that's at N-Y-C-L-A-S-S. And our main Facebook page is actually at Stop. NYC horse abuse. Um, but also if any listeners want to take an action with just a quick phone call or an email, you can go to nyclass.org slash stop horse abuse. That gives the direct uh, contact information for the speaker of the New York City Council, Adrian Adams, who has a lot of power to get this bill going and who hasn't been supportive. So we've been flooding her office with phones. Thank you, Adita. Um alarming uh, facts you've you've shared with us uh, today. If you want to learn more about this, you'll be able to hear it on a um, live event uh, Wednesday, November 30th at 12 p.m. Eastern time. It's called From Horse-Drawn Carriages to E-Carriages. Uh, that's a uh, event put on by the National Lawyers Guild, New York City Animal Rights Committee. Uh, you can join former Senator Avella, NYCLASS, the Animal Legal Defense Fund, Voters for Animal Rights, Center for a Humane Economy, our group, Animal Wellness Action, and others. Uh, Marty uh, and Kate, thank you so much for being on the show today, too. I really appreciate it. And thank you, as always, of course, to our listeners. We appreciate your doing it. Uh, you can follow the Animal Wellness Podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or Spotify. Subscribe for our newsletters and get all of our information. And if you don't mind, because it's the end of the year, uh, your donations would be appreciated too, especially as Giving Tuesday comes up next week. That's at animalwellnessaction.org. I'm your host, Joseph Grove, and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Animal Wellness Podcast.